Hey there, my name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed over 170 people around this question, not to provide you with the universal answer, but to help you to find and define your own answer to this question. On the 43rd episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, I'm delighted to have Pat Divoli as our guest. Pat is the host of the hugely popular Pat Divoli podcast, the author of the number one bestseller, Fit Mind and frequently delivers workshops, online programs, and retreats designed to support emotional healing, connection, and authentic living. In this episode, we discuss Pat's journey of reclaiming who he is and his transitions from the health and fitness industry towards spirituality, shadow work, emotional healing, and connection. We explore how to recognize who we are and what we need to express, allowing room for experimentation and play in our lives, embracing the messiness of transitions, accepting what is in our shadows, and engaging with the dozens of sub-personalities that exist within us. If you are feeling that the life you are living is not your own, and there is a yearning for something new in your life, this episode, along with Pat's transparency, example, and guidance, will give you plenty to consider in recognizing who you are and what your next steps can be. I think Pat's a wonderful example of somebody who's embracing more spirituality in their lives while remaining very grounded and rooted in what their present day needs are. While his real life examples will offer you lots of exercises to to contemplate as you listen along to this episode. And if you enjoy this conversation, please like, share and subscribe. And if you're on the podcasting platforms, please leave a review as I'd greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 43rd episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. Pat, thank you very much for joining us here on the What is a Good Life podcast today. Uh, having seen you speak on a number of other podcasts and following your work for a little bit as well, uh, I think you're, you're someone who I'm highly intrigued to see what you have to offer for us today. Thank you. No pressure then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pat, the, the first question, which I usually kick it off with, is there a question you're trying to answer as you move through life? Hmm. Is there a question? that I'm trying to answer as I move through life. I think, uh, I think the immediate thing that comes to me is like, who am I? Um, which I know is like a big spiritual question, but the, the more tangible day to day, experience of that for me is kind of peeling back the layers of who I think I am and who I think I'm supposed to be and, and what I really am. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm spending my life just, trying to reclaim my whole expression. So, you know, my big belief is we come into the world's 360 degree personalities that are capable of anything. And over time, we kind of filter who we are to gain acceptance and approval and fit in within the tribe. And so I believe a lot of my work and a lot of my um, mission in, personally and professionally is to kind of reclaim the parts of myself that I pushed away. Uh, the parts of myself that I felt were too much or not enough. And um, that's the answer, or that's the question I'm living with all the time is, who am I really? Uh, I've got a lot of limitations in my mind that have come from conditioning and from lived experience and from stories I've been told about who I'm supposed to be. And so it's about kind of transcending the conditioning, I think, and actually choosing uh, that's that's the big word probably is choice. I want to choose how I live my life as opposed to kind of reactively fall into a way of being. Well, that, well, that answer didn't disappoint already. <laughs> so <laughs> we're off to a good start. But the what's that process been like for you, uh, Pat? Of of uh, whether it's peeling back the layers or, or reclaiming parts of yourself. What, what's that look like? It's it's kind of death and rebirth. Not to sound too grandiose, but I think it's death and rebirth of 
um, trying things and sometimes achieving things and, and sometimes succeeding um, and then maybe realizing it's not what I want to continue to do. So um, there's a teacher, David Data, who I've studied over the years. And I think one of the analogies he uses is around almost like layers of an onion that your karmic cycles are, you know, you come and you do something and you think it's your purpose and you think it's what you're supposed to do. And for a period of time it is. But my experience has been that, you know, sometimes once you've done the thing that you set out to do that you thought was your dream or your biggest ambition, once you get there, it serves its purpose to a certain point. Maybe you learn the lessons and then it's time to sh shift gears. Uh, so the big one for me was uh, fitness was my passion since I was a teenager. And I suppose in Ireland back then, 20 years ago, there wasn't much of an industry for fitness and there wasn't a social media landscape. And so this dream that I had of starting a fitness business was something that consumed me for years and it wasn't possible at the time. I didn't really have anyone to look to outside of maybe, um, Carl Henry, uh, was, was a, a name in the fitness industry in Ireland and Paul Byrne. Um, and so I built this fitness business, which was, uh, first a failure with the business and then a, a big struggle for a lot of years with, you know, insecurity and a lack of confidence and not knowing what I was doing and all these challenges. And I fought tooth and nail for years to build a business. And when it peaked and was at its best, I suppose, financially and in terms of status, I woke up and I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So that might be an example of it, like going and learning the lessons and going through the tribulations and going on the hero's journey. Um, the hero's journey actually is probably a good metaphor for how I want to live my life, which is to kind of step into the unknown and say yes to the adventure and go through the challenges and then return home with the gold uh, that you can share with the people around you. But yeah, when my fitness business peaked and it was kind of at its best and I had gotten to the top of the mountain, I, I looked out and I said, oh, there's more mountains to climb here. Um, and so it's the courage, I think, and the willingness to be able to step away um, and to continue to evolve. Um, for me, at least, you know, if I, if I stay with my ego all the time, I play very linear games where it's like, okay, I've made this much money, let's make more next year. Or I've gotten this fit, let's get fitter next year. But, you know, I think beyond the ego, there's something in us all that wants to kind of express itself honestly and authentically. And what prevents that from happening is the conditioning. So like the stories about who I am, um, you know, my story was, you know, my story still is to a certain degree. I'm the guy next door in Ireland that did well in the fitness industry um and was somewhat successful in that and so stay in your box and and, and don't talk too spiritual <clears throat> don't go too woo woo don't be too grandiose in the things that you stay so that's some of the conditioning i'm probably bat battling now it's you say battling is that a is that a picture of randas i see over your right uh, your right shoulder yeah 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 <laughs> so, so <laughs> you're <laughs> For anyone that doesn't or is listening to this that doesn't know Ramdas is he's he's kind of a spiritual teacher, well a former um psychology professor as well in the sixties. He turned to psychedelics and then went on his own kind of journey to India and so forth. Um where did where did that where did that start to emerge? You you know, you go from you know having a success in an industry that you didn't think was possible initially, you achieve your goals. And and when uh, and when did these kind of things like even the idea or the awareness of what we could call woo woo or whatever 
Um, when did that start to emerge for you? Um, so I so I found fitness and I found martial arts and I found personal development very young. I was probably 13 or 14 when I found all of those things. So I was lifting weights, throwing people around on the judo mats and getting thrown around and reading books from Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy and a lot of the old school personal development stuff. Um, so I suppose at that time in my life, my early teens, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, just I didn't know, like most of us, I guess, I didn't know who I was. I was trying to figure out who I was. I didn't have a lot of confidence. And so there was a kind of sense that if I achieve things, I'll be confident. And so that sent me on a path of personal development for years. And I think when I got to 28, which was kind of when the fitness thing peaked for me, and I had just done the Late Late Show, which for me as an Irish person, I thought if you get the Late Late Show, you kind of get a, <laughs> a special badge that makes the rest of your life easy. <laughs> um, but it was around then when I suppose I talk about the ego my ego had capped out in terms of I ticked all the boxes that my ego wanted for it to feel comfortable. And, and, and the more I achieved, the more insecure I felt because I never addressed, I suppose, the wounds underneath, like the part of me that felt not enough. I ignored that part and I focused on the part of becoming more, if, if that makes sense. And so I suppose I got to, I got to the uh, limit with what was possible through the mind. Um, so personal development served me up to a point i think for everyone setting some goals getting more use or uh, more useful with your time having a clearer vision um surrounding yourself with good people a lot of these things that we'll have heard about through pop psychology are useful up to a certain point but for me i capped out at 28 and i'd kind of exhausted myself trying to be better and so that's when the spiritual work if you want to call it that came in a bit more um, and the practical practicalities of that was, um, you know, the term enlightenment seems woo-woo, but to me what enlightenment is, is lighting the dark, so putting light on the dark. And what that looks like in a reality is we all have a persona, which is the mask that we show to the world, and then we have the shadow, which is the part that we hide from the world. So for my 20s, I put out the persona, consciously and unconsciously, that I'm a hardworking guy, I'm authentic, I'm genuine, I'm a nice guy. That was kind of my my persona. And so I, um, what's the word? I rejected, I guess, the opposite of those things. I'm not an asshole. I'm not lazy. I'm not inauthentic. And so that was the parts of myself I was pushing away. And so enlightenment for me is shining light on those parts and saying, wait a second, maybe there's some, maybe there's some value to these traits. And also maybe you're demonstrating them in unconscious ways. Um, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but say the nice guy as an example. It's nice to identify, well, I'm a nice guy. But sometimes nice guys are manipulative and they're um, shadowy in the way that they show up in the world. They don't ask for what they want. They don't say what's true for them. They try to keep everyone happy and then they resent people. So that's an example of um, shadow and how it can play out. Or um, the person who puts their anger into shadow oftentimes is someone who's very resentful they never actually express what's going on for them. They keep everyone else happy, but then they resent people. So the spiritual work for me was, okay, I've rejected half of who I am because I was told that I wasn't lovable. You know, as kids were told, don't be this, yeah. don't be that, be this, be this. And so we're very black and white in our way of thinking as children, something's good or it's bad. And for me, spiritual work is about like, let's take out the parts that we made bad and just explore them a little bit and figure out, is there, just, is there some value in them? And also let's look at the parts that were good 
and figure out, is there maybe a drawback to being too much in this? So simple example, if you learned growing up that, you know, I, I remember phrases like, when I was your age, I didn't have time to be stressed. <laughs> so it's kind of like, <laughs> be busier, you know, and we hear these, these kind of terms. And so if I learned early on that it's really good to be hardworking, and I really take pride in my work ethic, this is probably the guy who's going to burn out when he's 40 or 50 because he runs himself into the ground. So yes, there's value in being hardworking, but the more you identify with that, typically the less you'll identify with the opposite and we become quite polarized. So the person who's very hardworking is also the person oftentimes who has a hard time switching off. And so uh, to me, spiritual work is, okay, your ego has a lovely picture of how you're supposed to be, but there's more to you than your ego. And, um, yeah, there's an opportunity there to explore. From from your perspective, uh, like a, a well, I guess a, a lot's resonating with what you're saying. Just in terms of uh, even going through my twenties without admitting a, an insecurity, basically, is <laughs> as as nonsensical as that sounds to be now. Or you know, a very very like I think I knew what life was more about in my mid twenties than at any other point in my life. Do you, you know what I mean? Like it was all so clear and certain. Mm. And from your, from your perspective, like did opening yourself up to this initially, did it, did it put you in a tailspin, you know, going from ideas of like, I am the nice guy and Hey guy, Hey people, I'm the nice guy. Look at me. I'm a nice guy Mm -hmm. to then going, Oh, wow. There's something a little shadowy and shadowy in here. Something a little manipulative maybe in here. Mm -hmm. Was that like, was that quite uncomfortable to navigate at the start? Yeah. And I think still, um, and just maybe to caveat for anyone who's listening and saying, well, it's good to be a nice guy. Like, don't not be a nice guy. It's not about being a not nice guy. It's about being an authentic, like authenticity is this buzzword that gets thrown around and we can think, oh, someone who's authentic is just genuine and they're lovely. But being genuine yeah. and lovely sometimes is saying, I am not comfortable with that. I don't like when you do that. Please don't speak yeah, like yeah. that around, you know. Um, um, you know, I often, I often say when I was in the fitness space, it was much easier because someone would say, what do you do professionally? I was like, oh, I'm a fitness trainer. And that was the end of the sentence and everyone had a clear sense. Whereas when I transitioned more into personal development and coaching and mentoring and shadow work and all this stuff, people would say, what do you do? And I would almost be embarrassed to say I was a coach because it felt like everyone was becoming a coach. And it's funny, I walked the Camino last year and I speak a tiny bit of Spanish and I would speak to people and they'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, um, I work in mental health. And, and, and they'd look at me and they'd say, oh, so, psychologia. And I'd be like, no, I'm a coach. And I would just see them become deflated and say, oh, another one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it, no, I guess, look, the, the nature... Welcome the nature. to my, my present state of life <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's destabilizing, I guess. You know, it is. It, 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 it makes complete sense that the mind wants to be black and white and put us in boxes and... um. Even the, I remember years ago, I'd probably get triggered by that years ago when someone would be asked to introduce themselves and they'd be like, oh, I don't like to put myself in a box. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, I get that. And so, yeah, it, it, it's uncomfortable is, is the answer to the question, I guess. It's it's much more comfortable to, 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 and it's something I'm probably battling with a little bit at the moment that I do notice when I have conversations with people, I can hear the confusion sometimes in my own voice because I'm almost too open sometimes to possibilities. And so I think it's good to ground down then and say, you know, this is what I'm focused on for the next six months. And, you know, I'm open to being wrong, but, you know, my, my primary focus is this, 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 and this. Um, so I think that's where the, 
you know, if you think about two extremes, you've got maybe the archetypal um, CEO or business person who's very heady and very clear and very um, structured and rigid. And then on the opposite side of the coin, maybe you've got the archetypal spiritual seeker who has no sense of grounding. And so I think for us all, there's an opportunity to find the middle ground. We'll tend to steer one, we'll tend to steer uh, toward one side. Like in my 20s, I was relentlessly disciplined um, with building that business and running around the country doing talks. And, you know, just, just, I didn't have a minute to myself. It was like relentless pursuit of some getting somewhere. And I think when I burnt out a little bit from that, I probably went the opposite way and I was very flowy and kind of, you know, I'll just take it day by day and see what happens and no structure. And I think in the last couple of years, I've found a bit more balance where there's structure, there's a sense of where I'm going, but there's also a um, willingness to detour when I need to. And I, I think that's the really interesting part, isn't it? Like, and, and finding that, I don't like the word balance as such uh, all the time, but finding what works for us in a moment, knowing that that balance will shift again, moment to moment almost, because I think from what you're saying there, it makes me think of, you know, initially I never admitted a vulnerability for into my, you know, that's an exaggeration generalization, but let's say until my thirties, when I started going to therapy or meditation, started meditation and different things. And then I think I became too open, sure. you know, people who I, who I didn't even know in a coffee shop um, while traveling may know more about me than some of my older friends, mm. you, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it, even in those situations, it gets us into a kind of an ungrounded space because it, they're not the people I'd call at at three in the morning, uh, yet they know more. You, you know, like the, there's these kind of strange scenarios that are cultivated. Well, they, but I think they, even... Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, I was going to say there is something in that in terms of like going to the extremes. I think I think there is actually a lot of value in going to the extremes with things to see how the opposite feels so like i run a lot of men's work and, and men's courses and like one of the things we might do is for the nice guy or the guy that's a bit shut down emotionally try to get him to like a really angry place or a really and like it's not hard to get people there once you help them tune into all the places they've suppressed their anger but if he in a safe space can really feel and express the anger and let that come out of him like it's reconnecting him to, oh, this is what like extreme anger feels like. And he also knows what it feels like to kind of numb that. And then you find the middle ground. Um, but if we always stay numb or, or we never allow ourselves to, to find the edges, I suppose the importance is you find the edges in safe places where uh, you can be supported. Um, but I, I would say a lot of my work is around that now is like letting people come in and uh, practice almost parts of themselves or express parts of themselves that have been hidden away so they have a sense of yeah as, as you say you went from no vulnerability to sharing your life story with a stranger to and now there's kind of a sense of okay well this is what's appropriate is is the middle but it's hard to find the middle if you haven't gone to the edges in my experience no and but i i really like what you said even earlier when you're describing what you're presently doing for work um you know grounding it slightly by saying this is what i'm doing for the next six months but i'll see where it goes and, and i think for me what's been really liberating in in a lot of even you know from going through a, a similar process of discipline being the way and if if things aren't working you have to work harder and that's the way that it will eventually you'll overcome uh, to then, you know, my head being cracked wide open through a, a whole series of lines of inquiries or experiences using different methods or whatever, um, to just thinking that it's, you know, that there's no clear answer to anything um, and and everything being quite, and going to an extreme of being quite untethered, I would say, mm. 
there's a it's just really nice to know that life can be an experiment I, mm. I think it it gives a lot of freedom in whatever way we're looking to approach it and it it doesn't have to be so I don't know final like w- whatever we're coming up with now is just our next best guess uh, which may work for a period of time or may not yeah so something that gives me relief which I think kind of blends there's actually a book I've not read it but it's called Why Woo Woo Works and it's a I think it's a neuroscientist that looks at the neuroscience behind woo woo that just comes to mind but um one of my teachers is a lady called Caroline Mace who looks at she calls it soul contracts and um even that language might kind of throw people a little bit but her kind of theory is when we're up there up there as in heaven or wherever we come from we are told okay you've an opportunity here to get into a human body and live a human life and i just need you to sign this contract before you go down there you've got certain missions to fulfill in this lifetime you're going to have certain allies that will come in to support you along the way you've going to have certain villains um and so we all have a different soul contract and you will have experiences throughout your life that are there to help you fulfill upon your contract so it could be that your contract is to learn forgiveness in this lifetime. And so your ego has all these normal plans like everyone else. I want a nice car and I want this and I want this and I want this. And then life keeps giving you these massive challenges where you feel like you're being betrayed or screwed over. And maybe in that your sole contract was to learn forgiveness. And once you learn and you fulfill the contract, then another kind of lesson emerges or whatever it might be. So that's how I kind of see the spiritual path is that I can spend the next what am I now, 36, the next, I don't know how many years I've got left, next couple of decades repeating the same lessons, or hopefully I can fulfill my karmic cycle, you know, with the next experience that life gives me. Um, I think like some of the religious texts over the years were quite, like you think about the Ten Commandments or the, it was kind of, you know, you're a good person or you're a bad person. And if you get it right, you're going to heaven. If you get it wrong, you're going to hell. Um, I'm not attuned enough to the religious text to to give nuance, and and so there's there's amazing pieces in them all. But um, what gives me peace is knowing that hopefully I'm going to come back again in a different form, and in that lifetime I'll get to do different things. Because I think one of the challenges for me, at least modern day, was we so much opportunity. There's opportunity to travel. There's opportunity to work remotely. There's opportunity to work in the office. You you could become completely overwhelmed by the amount of choice that's there for us. Um, And you could also kind of stay on the surface for the rest of your life, kind of tiptoeing around doing doing little bits of everything. Um, But when you, if you can kind of, if you uh, uh, tune into that kind of way of thinking that I'm, talking about that okay in this lifetime i've got a couple of things to fulfill i think it allows you to go deep onto a few things and not feel the need to get it right or do everything and yeah how how would you say you've uh, almost adapted then in terms of you know going from very like disciplined i need to i need to work harder in my 20s to then maybe opening things up a little bit like what were the what did like what were the initial changes in your life when you started to perhaps let go of productivity i don't know you well enough to say this is what your path was but just what you were alluding to Mm. Uh, how did you how were you in those spots of transition i guess um a lot of confusion and it's um i think the nature of the work i'm doing as well there's sometimes some shame can come up with uh with regard to you know if i have a bit of confusion i'm like oh geez i'm supposed to be the guy that helps people find clarity 
is like, <laughs> um, but we'll say from the outside looking in, I suppose the journey was 24 to 28. I ran a gym and a successful fitness business. And then I transitioned into personal development and started doing seminars around personal development. And so I've had people say to me, oh, it was amazing how you just moved from one into the other. That felt very messy and very, uh, I felt very unsure. It took about three years probably of doing workshops consistently before I started to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm in this new role now. So it's almost like serving an apprenticeship, going back to school and just starting again. Um, so I, I would say that's true of any of us that like, you know, probably you starting a podcast or like anything we start that's new, like from the outside looking in, sometimes it's because there's no emotional attachment for someone watching someone else's journey really. Um, but when you're in it, I think that's the diff difficult part with change, whether the change is going from productivity to more flow or it's going from more flow to productivity, whatever it might be. The biggest part with, of difficulty with change is the reality that your life, as you know, it falls apart, which sounds kind of drastic. Yeah. But um, to go from one role into another, you're who you are. You're, you're not who you thought you were, effectively, kind of coming back to where we started was. Um, and Ram Dass has a, has a beautiful, uh, there's a beautiful song where he says that you're not who you think you are. In, in terms though of even, even that original question then of, of who am I, how, how is that, or how does that continue to, to evolve for you? I think of it more as, um, what holds me back is the belief of what I'm not. Right. So you know, I, I would like saying I, I, I'm shy and I'm introverted. That's been one of my stories all my life. I'm shy and I'm introverted. And I've kind of latched onto that story and that brings me safety and that brings me kind of relief when I feel anxious in social settings. And that, um, so it serves me to a certain point, that story that I'm introverted and I'm shy and I'm a uh, reclusive. Sometimes I would even go that far. Um, but the reality is that's not true. There's times where I feel very social, very open, very, safe very etc etc so uh the who am i is um i think it, the the practicality probably for me is noticing how i feel on a day-to-day -day basis and if there's a period of time where i feel apathetic or i feel bored or i feel disconnected or i feel like i'm going through the motions um then it's kind of checking in with myself and saying am i living authentically am i doing things that actually excite me and inspire me or am I falling into, and I think the seasons of life, I think there's times where you're going to be less maybe inspired and you're going to be in the nitty gritty and you're going to be building phase. And, um, but it's that it's checking in. Um, my mental health challenges over the years have usually come from trying to hold on to the past. Like, so trying to hold on to a version of myself that I'm not anymore and, and not kind of trusting, um, you know, again, take the fitness example. I knew I didn't enjoy it anymore. When I, when I had the gym, I, f I loved fitness so much. And then I built this business and slowly and gradually, um, I started not wanting to be there in the gym less and less. And eventually I said to myself, um, I'm going to show up. I'm going to, I'm going to look at the timetable. It was all group classes and I'm going to make sure I'm there at least once a week for every member so that every member sees me at least once a week because my name's above the door. And then it got to the point where I didn't even want to go in once a week. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. Like this kind of chapter is closed. And so I think if I was still trying to do that, what am I now, eight, nine years on, if I was still in that life, I would really be struggling um, because like an acorn that wants to grow into something different, not necessarily something better, but just something different. I think you have to honor uh, the part of yourself. And for me, I was single. Um, 
and financially the gym had been relatively successful so that i recognized there was a bit of freedom in that that it was a bit easier for me to kind of cut ties overnight give the gym to my friend and just kind of ride off into the sunset and try to figure out was what was next but for someone who's you know struggling to pay the mortgage and, and not in a position of being able to leave uh, their work and stuff i mean for that person it would look very different but the suggestion would be there's a whisper in you um, that wants to evolve and grow and, and follow your passion and, and live authentically um, and maybe it's happening maybe it's not but if it's not happening can you dedicate 20 minutes a day to reading a book about your passion or can you meditate for 20 minutes a day to really listen to the voice in you um i probably drifted away from your question there but um no no yeah. because uh, but I, I think this sounds very much like um there's a fluidity to even the question of of who i am it's almost to express itself um, and to give it the freedom to to express what is, and that to me sounds that well. It's also helpful that it resonates with my own opinion. But 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 uh, but you know, just a sense of like when thing like life is giving us feedback, life is giving us experiences, and and also this sense of there's some there's a there is a voice or there is an expression to be heard if we can just cultivate some time for it. Like mm. I know I know as well like. Um, because I even hear people when I left um, when I left finance. Now you know, good things that happened just the year before. I was part of a team to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. People could have said, "Oh, well, it was easy for you to do it," mm. but um, and to head off to Peru for a year. Um, but it's not like I was a multi multi millionaire or something like this. And it's not like there's people that I knew that were actually millionaires. They were saying, "I'm so jealous. I wish I could do what you're doing." And mm. um, and but there was freedom in their life. They, there was just there was just things that they would have to let go of or untangle. And and obviously, even in the the expression you're giving there, I know that there's lots of people that have stepped away from their lives or their present lives and, and made a change when they seem to have far less security than other people. So it's not even always just like have a certain amount, therefore I have a choice. Mm. It's like, can you cultivate that? Can you cultivate that space even when it's not so, um, maybe when it's not so easy or even if it's not even a huge leap or you're dropping everything, you're just cultivating little pockets in your life to to allow for a different expression. You know, there was there was one guy who I interviewed in the initial 120 interviews, really busy corporate life, um, senior enough position. And the big change that he said he said and he made in his life is he started uh, doing a woodwork class once a week, mm-hmm. which then became more and more of a thing that I, even at his weekends and instead of going out in the piss, maybe he was in a studio um, making these certain pieces. Now, wherever he goes with that, I don't know. It seems to, he seems to be very passionate about mm. it. But even if it just stopped there and it was just, it coincided with the job that was maybe difficult or stressful, that, that makes a profound difference in our lives. So I, I think it's whatever the opportunity is, it's to, to try to recognize them at times. Uh, so something I've been playing with recently that, you know, I kind of get onto a tangent and it just becomes like all consuming for me. Um, but the most recent thing that I've really become, tried to become more aware of myself and, and, and I suppose share with others is as humans, we all have fundamental needs and, you know, myself and yourself have the same needs to a certain degree, need for shelter, need for connection, need for food. But beyond that, as an individual, uh, you have needs and wants and longings. And so um, we're all a unique expression and we all have different, um, again, wants, needs and longings. And 
you'll notice that there'll have been times in your life where life was really in flow and things were working well and you were just feeling quite content, quite, I would say, feeling uh, joy. Um, you know, happiness is for me temporary. It's like a, I eat an ice cream and temporarily I feel happy, but joy maybe is I'm, you know, struggling through a marathon, but I, I'm like, wow, I'm doing this. I'm really doing this. So joy is kind of a different state that can be challenging, but also there's that contentment and you lay your head on your pillow and you say, that was a good day. That was, you know, I, I kind of used what was given to me today in terms of my energy and my focus. And anyway, I, I think when you explore the times where you've been in flow in life, it can oftentimes point to the needs that are most important for you. So personally, I have a need to train jujitsu. Uh, for some people, that'll seem daft and they'll kind of throw the eyes up to heaven and say, oh, that's, um, I have a need for interesting and inspiring conversations. Like after this chat this morning, I will feel more human. I'll feel more connected. I'll feel more motivated. I'll feel a lot of those things. Uh, I have a need for creativity and having a creative outlet. I have a need for study and learning. Uh, I have a need for um, travel and adventure. So these are some of my needs. Um, when I don't meet those needs in conscious ways, I have difficult feelings. So when I drift away from jiu-jitsu, when I'm not having, well, actually probably the easiest one to share is when, when I don't have interesting, what I judge to be interesting and inspiring conversations, there's a part of me that feels like I'm the only one in the world that's interested in the things I'm interested <laughs> in. And that feels isolating and it feels lonely. And when I feel isolated and lonely, I find myself reaching for junk food or reaching for distraction yeah. because I'm trying to numb myself. So um, your, 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 your example there of the guy that's um, doing woodwork classes, for someone looking in from the outside, if that guy's making a lot of money, it might make no sense. Like, why is he, why is he doing that? He might have a need for, again, creative outlet. He might have a need to work with his hands. He might have a need to go somewhere where he doesn't have to be the boss and doesn't have to be. Um, and if you don't find ways of expressing your needs in healthy ways, you'll always find unhealthy ways of expressing your needs because your needs will always be met. So back in my 20s, I had a need for a quiet mind and social connection, and I met those needs through the pub. And I would drink way too much on the weekends because it quieted my mind and my friends were in the pub. Uh, Ten years on, I still have the need for a quiet mind and the need for um, social connection, but I meet it on the jiu-jitsu mat. So you'll always meet your needs. So I think it's a useful exercise for people to just write down, like, what do you need to feel fully human, to feel fully authentic, to feel fully aligned? And how do you meet those needs consistently? Um, because if you don't, uh, life is hard. Life is hard. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> life is hard anyway. But I, but I think you're, I don't know, I really think that this is so important, like to to pay attention, like, like, like what you said there for me. And it's probably even the reason for doing the podcast, like conversations where I'm having even conversations if someone's resonating or even challenging me or whatever, but they're just their perspective on life is something that that energizes me or, or I feel they're being genuine with me. I have like an infinite amount of energy for that. Like I've had mm. sometimes coming onto this going, oh, fucking hell, I, I'd love if this person canceled this evening. And um, then I get into, and I've, I've, I also do some, well, I've done some work hosting men's circles as well. Mm. And even that could be on, on a, I was on on a Wednesday evening when I used to do it, thinking once again, oh, I wish something would happen that I don't have to do it. Mm. As soon as I'm into the conversation, I'm like, even though I was tired before, I'm just energized. And it's almost like, I think it's almost like looking for these places in life where our energy is simultaneously expended and replenished. There, it's not always so clear cut and obvious to notice, but there's some things I think in life where we do almost have like a, not an. It sounds like an infinite supply of energy, but it, there's just it's there's there's something there's some re uh, reciprocity with it. Like you know, jujitsu. I've I've trained very briefly in mixed martial arts and. Um, 
a long time ago, but there's something deeply satisfying about exhausting yourself sometimes in, in, in certain, in certain practices mm-hmm. and you, you don't come away completely drained of spirit. You may be physically tired, but your spirit is, is alive. And I, and I think, you know, from what you've even been saying so far, I think it's so important for people to just to pay attention to their lives, to notice what's in need of expression because nobody can tell you it. Mm-hmm. You know, and this was the motivation even for the podcast, I guess, like you have to find this yourself because Someone could be listening to, to Pat and goes, oh, he seems to be know what he's talking about. I'm going to do some meditation now. I'm going to do some jujitsu. I'm going to get into inspiring conversations, whatever it may be. Hmm. And that may not be your thing. It could be some of your thing. You know, so I, I think it's just so fundamentally important for us to just to pay attention. Hmm. I, um, I think back to I went to college in Galway. I did an arts degree in Galway. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and, and so I did well to get through school in the first place. My dad, dad luckily kept me in school because I, I, I wanted to drop out and everything else. But did an arts degree and I said, I'll stay in Galway. And um, I remember a lot of the students coming in were coming from outside of Galway, which kind of put the pressure on them to socialize and they were staying in student accommodation. And so they were meeting people and, and this, that and the other. And I think coming from Galway, I was a little bit lazier with like trying to meet people and I wasn't going to lectures and a couple of months in, I was just like, I was a bit lost and, you know, saying to my dad, I was like, I don't know anyone. I'm, you know, I, I, I just not feeling it. And he said to me, he said, he said, there's, a, there's dozens of clubs and societies in the college. Just start going in there. And he'd name off the club. You'd go badminton, this, that, and the other. And I'd say, no, I'm not into that, not into that, not into that. And he'd say, you haven't tried any of these things. He says, just go once, try it out. You'll find some things that you like. You're not going to find it by just like hiding in the background. And I think that's true of life sometimes, particularly as we get older. You know, we started by talking about who am I and uh, who, who for many of us, the who am I is a very small box that we put ourselves in because when we were young, we were told you can't sing, you can't dance, boys don't cry, girls don't get angry, like all these hundreds of messages. Irish people don't get too full of yourself, uh, you know, da, 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 da. and suddenly you wake up halfway through life and you're like, Jesus, no wonder life is hard. I'm in this tiny cage that I've put myself in. And so like your buddy there with the woodwork class or, you know, I've gone to salsa classes over the years. Like there's a huge voice in my head that says you're not a dancer. So it's like, I think there's an aliveness and an energy, as you say, that comes from challenging these, these beliefs. And the other thing that kind of jumped out for me was you were saying like there's oftentimes where despite knowing how good you're going to feel after doing the thing, there's a part of you that's like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I, 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 I think of subpersonalities. So like within each of, of us, there's, there's dozens of different characters and they all have different motivations and even inner critic, even inner judge, you've a predator, which is like your outer critic that attacks other people to make you feel better. You've got an addict. We've got all these characters and I have that same character that almost likes being a bit miserable. And so when there's <laughs> something I know that is good for me that I need to do, that part of me is like, oh, you this is always good, but oh, to just stay on the couch tonight. And so I'm almost battling yeah. with a part of myself that enjoys being, so it's, it, it, it can be kind of fun with, to play with those characters and say, oh, this is my, this is the miserable part of me that just loves, loves being a victim, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but is, but I think that is like, and, and I guess even more intellectually, I find this just such a perplexing part of us is, um, you know, there's a there's a list of a bunch of things I could I could name that I never feel worse from doing, or I usually feel a little bit enlivened for. It could be, 
very simple stuff too, like walking, walking my dog, like hanging out with my missus without any technology or distraction. Um, it could be journaling, med- like meditating. And I'm not saying med- or meditating is always glorious. Sometimes that can feel excruciating um, depending on the, the weather system in my head um, or the thought patterns that are going on. Um, there's like eating well. Like, you, you know, I never wake up the night after eating a clean meal and go, oh, fucking hell, I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet, like, and, and I know there's a, a dopamine thing to this as well and, and everything else that we can be hardwired for, but... There is something remarkable, remarkable about then even uh, like identifying what fills me up and then, you know, maybe watching, I could even think to this week, like saying to my missus, like, oh, for feck's sake, like we, we watched a few shows last night, like we just filled time, like didn't, didn't enjoy that whatsoever. And I kind of know sometimes even like I'm saying, let's not do that again, but knowing that my resistance to it the next night could be absolutely like zero like so it it's i really like the way you kind of characterize that there like of of like there's someone there's a part of us that wants to be miserable there's a you know how do you just for out of interest for your own sake um while none of it's linear or perfect like how do you engage with that part of you like what what do you do you talk to it do you do you like do you write about it or, or how do you play with it yeah there's a lovely um well, two, two quick bits, actually, I'll, I'll share, share first is um, we talked earlier about the shadow, right? So these parts of ourselves that we reject and we hide away and we kind of have deemed to be lo- unlovable. So early on, we're told, don't be angry, don't be this, don't be the other. The, the shadow can seem murky and dirty and it's like, oh, there's that kind of energy about it. The shadow is not bad. It's just in the dark. That's why we call it the shadow. But there's an aspect of the shadow called the golden shadow, which is the... um our beauty, our creativity, our potential. Our potential is probably the best word to put on it that we put away because we learned early on, don't be too big for your boots. Don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, don't shine too brightly, all those kind of messages. So I almost feel like it's it's an element of the shadow sometimes that we try to keep ourselves small. And we have these subtle ways of self-sabotaging, if you want to call it that. Because again, if I reach my potential or I lean into my potential, the old part of me dies and it challenges everyone around me and it challenges my sense of myself. And the other piece in it is um, when we find ourselves going to impulsive behaviors or behaviors that are not um, quote unquote healthy or empowering, generally we're running away from a difficult feeling um, or a challenging feeling. So, you know, I watch Netflix when I'm bored. Now there's a difference between choosing to watch Netflix because there's something I genuinely want to see versus numbing out. So it can, be, it can be useful just to identify like what are some of the behaviors I go to and what's the preceding feeling or like what comes to me before it that, um, that I'm maybe trying to get away from. And then with the feeling, without getting too technical, like let's say um, when I'm lonely. No, so, so I find myself eating junk food a lot and I'm wondering like what's going on there. And then I kind of explored a little bit and say, okay, well, generally I feel a bit lonely and um the the a bit sad um and then the loneliness and sadness as feelings point to unmet needs so i ask myself what do i need when i'm lonely and sad i need connection and i need uh, connection and sharing uh, what's going on for me and so if i can meet those needs generally the the need for the 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 junk food will will ease the junk food is potentially playing therapist for me because it eases my temporary feelings <laughs> but in terms of working with the characters um I've done a bit of study with Dick Schwartz who, who founded internal family systems. Um, and he has some nice meditations on YouTube where 
you would connect in with the what the wise part of you so for some people that's their higher self for other people it's their sovereign like the king or the queen within but you kind of tune into your grounded place and then you ask yourself to connect in with a character so you might say um like one of my characters is the part of me that struggles to switch off and find balance in life and just wants to work all the time because it feels safe. And so if I was to close my eyes and tune into that part, you'd see, okay, does an image come to mind or is there a sensation that I notice? And then for me, it's kind of a murky red energy around my heart space. So, so then I start to connect with that part and I might ask that part, um, what are you afraid of? They'll say, I'm afraid that if I slow down and stop working so much, I'm going to have to feel my feelings. And there's a lot there that I don't want to feel. And then I might ask that part, what is it you need from me? And they'd say, I need you to reach out to people and get some support because I, you know, I've been, I've been keeping you away from your feelings for years now, getting you working all the time. And so when we, when we go into that, it's going to be, so I would literally have that conversation. What do you fear? What do you need? Another great question is how old do you feel? So like if you tune into the part of you that likes to numb out and you ask how old do you feel, they're probably eight or nine or 10 or younger even still. Uh, they probably learned that strategy early on because all these self-sabotaging strategies are defense mechanisms that we learned as kids to stay safe. So when our needs were not met as kids, we learned that, okay, it's painful to not have your needs met. So how do I soothe the pain? And for some people, they can be became achievers. For some people, they become addicts. For some people, they become caretakers. For other people, they become rescuers. Um, and because it's such a great strategy in that moment, we carry this strategy for decades. So I think that's where the self-inquiry piece comes in. Where did this come from? How, you know, be grateful for the purpose it served and then maybe be open to giving it a break. Absolutely. And, and I think as well, it's... Uh like anger for me was always something um, that came very easily. And even then when engaging with anger, it's not to go, like if I had an internal dialogue with my anger previously, I think it would have been, what the fuck are you getting so angry for? What's your problem? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, That's not acceptable. Yeah. Um, which surprisingly doesn't de-escalate the situation. <laughs> uh, you know, whereas now it's it, it kind of is more like, Oh, wow, like what you know, almost thank you for trying to protect me, but it's not also very help it's not always helpful. Like mm. or how you know, how can we I, I think with so much even what you're even ref like perhaps pointing towards even in some of the shadow stuff is I don't know, just a real recognition of the you mentioned earlier the kind of the three hundred and sixty degrees uh persona you could be or or person you could be and like just an acknowledgement that all of those things could be in the constellation of who we are. Mm. Like, I think that's kind of humbling as well, like, because, okay, like I, I may be a pretty, consider myself a pretty decent bloke most of the time, but wow, I have this capacity either to be angry, uh, to be judgmental, to be ignorant, wh whatever it may be. And while not taking that personally, like, well, not taking that as a, it's just, it's somewhere where I could exist on a, on a 360 degree wheel of, of whatever, whatever it is or who I am in any particular moment. And I don't know, like, I, I think that there's, there's so much compassion, which kind of flies in the face a lot of times of how we see people judge people so, um, so quickly in society, like mm -hmm. off one incident, like, oh, that's who they are. Or you see a, a famous person getting into some sort of twist publicly and they're like, it doesn't matter if they did all this philanthropic work or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, they're this monster or this predator mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, whatever terminology we may want to put on them. And, and I think it's, it's, this is where I think some of the spiritual work comes in is to see the the kind of the 
the fuzziness to what we thought were were barriers or edges like and to see the kind of ambiguity and the the simultaneous mix of all these characters potentially speaking at the same time mm. yeah <laughs> you, you know and, and trying to engage with them like in a in a more like kind of i don't know grounded or balanced place in which we can hear things like a little bit more maybe with more compassion but maybe even just with without so much projection on top of them yeah and i think alongside the compassion for like having these different parts going a step further there's oftentimes value in the in the parts that we've rejected so you know yeah. anger is where our boundaries live um fear is oftentimes the gatekeeper to transformation like if if you if you're fear can either be something that has you run around uh, the way i see it is is a lot of people that are comfortable with anger will tend to be uncomfortable with fear because their anger keeps them from their fear and then the reverse is true a lot of people that live their lives from a very fearful place tend to be uncomfortable with their anger so this is kind of avoidant and anxious personalities so uh, one of us learns early on that you know i need to be in control and i need to be the one that says yes or no and i need to be the one that um so that's the person that uses their anger to protect the fearful part of them and then the other person learns that okay my anger is not welcome so i'm gonna use fear to navigate my way through life and so neither person can fully show up as an adult unless they tend to both parts um so a couple of you know not to go into too many exercises, but one simple exercise people can start to do to, to recognize is, well, maybe a few prompts. One is if you recognize the parts of you that you're most comfortable with, and then you ask, what's the opposite of that? And then ask, have I demonstrated this or could there be potential value in this? So, you know, I'm comfortable with my stoic nature. I'm uncomfortable with my emotional nature. Um, what might the value be of embracing more of my emotions? Um, Another exercise you can do is recognize what you don't like about other people. So projection um, the human psyche is an amazing way of like disowning parts of ourselves and just putting them in front of us until we own them. Um, so you'll keep meeting the same types of people. So, you know, I would, I would have noticed that for years. I think I would have disowned my anger and lived from a place of fear. And so anyone who was in any way assertive, I they would kind of, I'd feel a bit uncomfortable. I'd be like, cause they were showing me what it was to be assertive. <laughs> I remember going on a date with someone once and I said, do you like Indian food? And they were like, nope. And I was like, well, wow, that was, that was a bit harsh. Like, There's <laughs> not, nothing harsh in that. They're like, they're just like expressing their wants and their needs. But that showed how disconnected I was from my wants and my needs. I would never speak up for myself. I would just go along with whatever, because my strategy in life was if I keep everyone else happy and safe, hopefully I'll be okay. Um, but again, that's manipulative in a way. Yeah, I, I I think that's a beautiful exercise, though. The just seeing what the opposite of what you're comfortable with or or uncomfortable with, and, and then the projection games always a. I always find it very funny with public figures when when there's when some public figures inspire so much attention and hatred, like it's always such an interesting exercise to go what part of them exists in me, and and it's a I think it's a far more fruitful version than just going that person's an asshole and and I'm pretty okay. Um, just in terms of how you then, how how has your relationship been with like assertiveness then? Like how how have you, how has that evolved in terms of you you, you notice these things? You, you're working with shadow. Is this a, is this like a, a daily engagement or or how would you kind of characterize that, that journey? I'm still working on it. Um, yeah, I'm definitely still working on it. I feel a lot clearer 
Um, years ago, very old school, but I think Jim Rohn used to say, if you don't have a plan for your own life, you become a part of someone else's plan and they don't have much plan for you. So I guess that would be the starting point. That's an area where I have been strong is like having a clear sense of generally where I'm trying to go. And that does, that takes a lot of problems off the table straight away because if you don't have a sense of direction, there is that idea, I think, in sales or in 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 persuasion that whoever is the most assertive or confident in the room is generally the person who's going to, or the most certain is generally the person who's going to control the room. So I think if you have a sense of direction where you're going in life, that 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 starts, to, like if you don't know where you're going, what does it say? Any road will get you there or whatever. So, so it's hard to make decisions in that place. Um, but still, there's definitely the part of me that wants to keep everyone happy, that wants to I had always thought of it as, you know, I talk about these different parts of the personality and I always, I identified a character in me called the ordinary man. And I was like, okay, I think a lot of people see me as like, just like a normal Irish guy who's, who's doing well or whatever. And so anytime the thought of like pushing myself a little bit further business wise or, or, or whatever it might be, again, sharing ideas that are a bit out there, whatever it might be, the ordinary man character pipes up and he's like, no, 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 don't do that. Stay safe. <laughs> so I thought this was unique to me, but then I was studying the Jungian archetypes and he's, well, this is the, this is the reality of archetypes is their universal patterns. So Jung had actually outlined a similar character. I think it was called the everyday man or something like that. Um, so that's the part of us that wants to, to stay, stay as we are, just not to rock the boat. Uh, but the assertiveness, um, it's kind of an awareness task for me. I've definitely like not been overly graceful with it at times. Like I've, I've let things go for too long. And then when I've finally brought up my grievances with someone who I feel has not respected my boundaries, I do it a couple of months too late. And, <laughs> but I, but I'm definitely getting better and I'm getting stronger on it. Um, some of that's been from like breath work training. Like I do a lot of breath work. So that helps me tune into my different parts and recognize what anger feels like. And, this is this for me this has been a big part of the development over the last couple of years is connecting the body and the mind so cognitively my mind knows you know what i want to do and all this kind of stuff but then my body oftentimes just goes and reacts in old ways so when someone triggers you generally the triggering is either fear or anger like those two things come up i'm scared or i'm angry um and so i think Doing the breath work has made me more aware of my fear, or sorry, my anger and my fear. And that makes me more aware of my boundaries. And that makes it easier to set boundaries and be assertive and be a bit clearer. So it's definitely an ongoing process, but it, it, I've gotten a lot better. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, um, you know, in, in line with what we were saying, even over the course of the conversation, like of who am I um, identifying these things, identifying what lights us up, and, and identifying what we actually, what our own unique constellation of things wants to express as and, and maybe even giving it freedom. And then, you know, being comfortable maybe with the ambiguity or the uncertainty at times in these transitions. But then also this kind of, this this next layer to it or piece to it is like, can you can you know yourself well enough then to, to, name, to know your boundaries and to set them and, and communicate them as well? And and I, I don't know, I just think there's a nice kind of sequence to that. And, and obviously lots of like self-realization that goes into it and 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 an openness really, I guess, from so much of what you're describing. Like if I identify over at this extreme here, mm -hmm. wow, what's what's the complete opposite of that? Mm -hmm. And am I am I willing to acknowledge that that presence uh, of that in me as well? Or and and I think all of this too then just leads to 
just much greater moments of connection with with ourselves first and foremost which if that's been in the doldrums for a while that's a pretty magnificent experience and mm. um, but then also how it helps us connect with with other people as well and and i think a lot of that like you know when you've been touching on authenticity at different times during the conversation that is it's a culmination of nearly all of that that kind of breeds life or um aliveness into that version of ourselves which is a, a reflection of of who i am mm. yeah you know i think you know we've talked a lot about shadow in different ways and and i've i've learned or i'm learning continuing to learn that the ultimate form of shadow work is relationship whether it's intimate relationship or it's relationship with other because one of my teachers says with meditation you can sit on your emotions but in relationship you have to sit with your emotions which is like this <laughs> dynamic thing where all your stuff's going to come up because you know oftentimes particularly intimate relationship i think we attract the people that are there to help us complete childhood that certain things happened in childhood that we couldn't figure out and then oftentimes we almost recreate those dynamics later on in life so if as a child i felt like nothing i ever did was good enough oftentimes the partner i end up with triggers that same feeling in me that nothing i ever do is good enough and so there's an unconscious part of me in my shadow that's trying to complete childhood in that relationship uh, and again like the soul contracts we talked about earlier i can just play out the same pattern time and time again or i can you know actually actually work with it um and then we talk about the body and how the body links in. And for me, that's the big awareness is like my body will point to my unconscious. My body will point to my shadow because my reactivity is showing me where my shadow is. So when someone says to you, I love your top, where did you get that? Or no, I love your top. And you start going to, oh, it's from pennies and it's not worth much. And it's this and it's this. That's reactivity to a compliment. And so that's potential that, okay. There's a part of me that fears my potential. There's a part of me that fears being too much. There's a part of me that fears being judged for being cocky or being X, Y, or Z. So our reactivity is a good, another place to kind of recognize where our shadow lives. Because um, again, it's this defensiveness. Uh, absolutely. And, and I, I don't have time, or we don't have time to get into this other topic here almost, but I, I will just kind of put a pin in that, like uh, for anyone listening, like I think we have to be far as, as much aware of our fear of failure um as we are of our fear of success like like i you've touched on it a few times and i just think it's it's a really interesting one like you know we often kind of think that we don't do things because we're afraid that it, it will fail or will blow up in our face i think there's something in us that you've been touching on a, a bunch of times during this conversation where you know what if we were to succeed and and how we might kind of freak out at, at, at that concept for all the for all the different kind of things that are attached to that you that you've alluded to mm. look pat I've we've kind of summarized even kind of even as we were going through it so many of the, the themes that we've brought up that I think are just I think are profoundly helpful and they have been in in my journey I can clearly see that they are in yours but for for anyone listening as well uh, but just to to finish up with the question that I I always ask at the end of this podcast which is uh, what is a good life for you Pat? Hmm. Um <laughs> it's uh maybe it's growth and contribution it's the hero's journey so the hero's journey is something in me says you need an adventure your things are things are too comfortable or things are too uncomfortable something needs to change and you have that call and it's like okay i'm going to go on this adventure and you step into the unknown which the unknown represents your unconscious you step into we see it in the movies we see the the hero goes on an adventure and they meet their demons and dragons and mentors and all of those dragons and demons and mentors are a metaphor for us meeting our fears, our insecurities, or um, 
But the end of the hero's journey is where you come back to your village and you bring back the gold that you picked up along the way. So that's the other part of the well-lived life is that you go on your internal and external adventures. You learn who you are beyond who you think you are. You come back to your community and you share in whatever way you can. So maybe that's that, you know, you have the courage to leave a job that you don't love and you create something you're passionate about. And your returning of the gold is your kids seeing you doing that and it shows them what's possible so it's a combination of honoring yourself and your 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 truth and and um going beyond the story of who you think you are and then it's how do you take that and allow it to impact other people that's that's a well-lived life to me that sounds absolutely delightful to me pat <laughs> <laughs> look Thank you so much for your time, Pat. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us here on the What is a Good Life podcast. Uh, I've really enjoyed all that you've shared and I, and I look forward to continuing to follow your work, sir. Thank you, sir.